On this episode, we sit down with New York Times bestselling author John Acuff. We talk goal setting, the art of the hustle, and how artists and creators can best handle the criticism that so often and easily comes their way. Welcome to the Story Podcast. There are things meant for you that are currently beyond your imagination. The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. Your greatest work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making anyway. To be a writer, we have to sit down and we have to do the work and we don't get up until it's finished. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Story Podcast. I am your host, Harris III, and I am sitting down this week with Sammy Harvey. Sammy, thanks for coming back. Uh, oh, absolutely. This is an amazing episode. Yeah, it is. John I, Acuff. Yeah, I've been a fan of John Acuff for a long time. Yeah, me too. We've been friends for years, and I've followed him online even longer, and he is a hustler. Yes, and he's also <laughs> hilarious. He's really funny. Yeah, I, I feel like if you've seen Johnny Cuff online you know probably like one or both things about him is that he's hilarious hilarious and he's also really smart especially when it comes to hustling and marketing and career yeah advice. yeah there was a, I think there was a time where a hustler was like this negative word right like if a man if a man was called a hustler it was like you stay <laughs> you stay far away from that dude yeah it's a um, very cool word though right these now. days it's become sort of a buzzword it seems yeah. like the if you're not hustling, it's like you're not on your game for some totally, reason. Totally. Um, there are times I think that as a culture, we get so focused on the hustle that we never take time to stop and rest, right? Totally. Yeah. I think there is a time and place for both rest and hustle. And um, I don't know about you, but right now I feel like geared up. Like for some hustle, I feel like January always kind of brings in that newness that sure. kind of refreshes me and gets me going so i'm i'm working on my hustle right now it's not going to last forever <laughs> and i think that's what keeps me sustained through is making sure that i plan out days of rest as yeah. well but yeah john acuff has some incredible advice about hustle yeah naturally especially I think, for creatives yes i think naturally you're you're much better at that balance than i am i'm naturally a workaholic and so i don't know though hustle for me is this constant battle of well, I'm so if we're talking Enneagram types here, <laughs> it always comes are. back to Enneagram on the story <laughs> you're, podcast. You're an eight and you are a workaholic for the most part, your personality type is. And my personality type as a nine is I'm notoriously called the sloth because I am not geared towards hustling at all. And I need a lot of push like to get me going. But once I get going, I'm pretty disciplined. But yeah, I'm very low energy, and yeah. it takes a lot for me to hustle. But when I am hustling, feels great. Well, so you need a lot of John Acuff in your life. I do. I need a, I need <laughs> his motivation, and this podcast episode, this interview that we just did, has a lot of that. Yeah, we're excited that you guys have tuned into this one. It's January. It's the beginning of the new year. Everyone is trying to figure out what their hustle is going to be this year, and even if you already know what it's going to be. 
um, there's no better guy than John, I think, to just kind of guide you through that process and just inspire you. So this is a very, I think, one of the most motivational conversations mm. we've had so far on the podcast. And possibly practical, too. He gives some really great practical advice for making sure your goals are achieved. And he talks quickly about a lot of things. So we <laughs> squeezed a ton into this interview. You guys are going to love this one. Uh, this is our interview with John Acuff. Um, super inspirational guy, social media guru, uh, best-selling author, not just best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author. His latest book is called Do Over. Um, here it is, our interview with John Acuff. John. Welcome to East Nashville. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good, it's good to get out of Franklin. <laughs> yeah, um, you've been in Franklin your whole time in Nashville, though, right? Yeah, uh, I guess we're going on six years. So yeah, it's nice. been fun. No, yeah. it's longer. Is it longer than six? Seven years. That makes me almost like a native in Nashville. No, nobody's <laughs> been here for that long. I know. After I reach five years in Nashville, I would just tell people I'm from Nashville. Yeah, it's yeah. long enough. Wow. You're fine. So, what brought you to Nashville? A job. A job. Seven years ago. It was a summer. Summer of 2010, yeah. Which is super fascinating because uh, you don't have a job anymore, right? I have a lot of jobs. <laughs> if you're an entrepreneur, you have like 50 jobs. This is true. You better yeah. if yep. you want to. The whole trick to be an entrepreneur is so simple. It's about having a bunch of faucets that are always on so that when three get turned off outside of your control, you still have two on right. or three on or four on. And the worst time to start a new one is when you need a new one. Like the best time to turn on a new faucet is when the other faucets are killing it. So what about all the people out there who are like, pick one thing, focus like a laser, build that one thing. That's great. That was probably awesome in 1987. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just, that's fine. But if you, it's put all your eggs in one basket, like wow. tell the cab driver, like just, just be a great cab driver. Like in New York city, the token system used to be that you had to pay Two hundred to four hundred thousand dollars to get a token to be a cab driver, and I know a cab driver, and he paid four hundred grand for his. He got his house loan based on owning a token, and now the token is worth zero dollars. Mm. So, like, I'm not opposed to focus or being deliberate or intentional, but I, I don't know if you're an entrepreneur. Like, it's like Kodak when Kodak started. When Kodak saw digital coming, they focused on paper, like they focused on having better paper quality. Like it was mm. this dumbest thing ever so yeah i'm not opposed to one thing but like i just don't think our economy is shaped for one thing yeah so there's a lot of freelancers out there who are saying well i just take pictures as a photographer so you're not telling them necessarily to go start shooting video are you telling them to not just take pictures of weddings i'm Maybe telling them to have a bunch of different clients in a bunch of different ways mm -hmm. um you know that so that if some part of the economy changes, it doesn't change your whole thing. Um, so that if a new thing happens, you've got your foot in the new thing. Yeah, um, yeah I don't think you get to just be a blank anymore. Um, not if you want to continue to be able to do it. Um, I mean, the idea of like you having one job for 30 years and getting a gold watch doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Like that was your grandfather's, you know, that was his generation. Yeah. So that's what, that's what, that's where you are now. Let's rewind back to mm -hmm. what was your first job? Um, my first real adult job was copywriting for an ad agency. Um, that was like, I had a college internship and then it turned into a full-time job. So I did about 15 years at corporations doing marketing. Um, 
like at Bose and Staples and Home Depot. And so I was really fortunate to have like a billion dollar marketing education. That wasn't because I was smart, it was just because I was fortunate to be at those companies. So that was what I did. And then I applied, I just applied those principles to like my own stuff, I would say. Yeah. So you were, that was straight out of college? Yeah, I had a journalism degree, so I was focused on advertising, so I did agencies, and then I did corporate side. Like, I found my groove kind of being, you know, if you're Home Depot, you work with ad agencies, but you also have an internal department that does marketing. So I was on the internal side, um, which was really fun. And so, yeah, so I did marketing for like 15 years, and then along the way started a blog, and, you know, all these new opportunities with the internet opened up. Um, that's what I, I keep trying to, like, I'm teaching my kids. I think they're going to run my Amazon affiliate program this year <laughs> um, just because they need business experience because I was at a dinner party and I was talking to somebody about, like, there's so much money online. Like, people are so misguided when they think the Internet's over. Like, when mm. people are like, oh, I missed my opportunity. Oh, my, it's barely started. Mm. Like, and so I need my kids to understand like the modern paper route is an Amazon affiliate program and here's how to do it in a way that is honest and genuine and doesn't like advertise stuff you don't care about, you know? And so like, I just, yeah, I'm just geeked out that there's a ton of money. And then I'm also geeked out that there's a ton of fake entrepreneurs telling people terrible advice. Like I just, I, like most of the stuff online is such garbage. Is that are those like the, all the online marketing people? Yeah, the, it's all their the only business that are is... selling you a program to do something they haven't done. Hmm. Like you should constantly go, well, what have they done? Right. What have they done? And if it, what they've done, if their whole program is based on it worked for me, it'll probably work for you. It's so foolish because it take like when somebody says, if you buy my thing, I guarantee this will happen. They don't know where you live. They don't know your skills. They don't know what you're good at. They don't know who you are. Like versus, like for me, if I ever said, I'll tell you how to hit the New York Times list, first step should be work for somebody who has 8 million radio listeners. Like that would be fake of me to do that. I can say, here's how to market a book. Like, and I can say better now because I've done it on my own without an 8 million person radio audience. But just when people that are good at branding brand themselves as experts in things they're not experts in, it just drives me nuts and it like and people like will do it and they'll buy it and they don't take into account that person's charismatic that person is attractive like that matter that matters online like yeah. that yeah. person is a good salesperson that person lives in New York and they have connections you don't have in Iowa you know and so like that stuff i just it drives me nuts yeah so what did you do after the ad agency thing so I did that back and forth for like 15 years. But then again, like probably year 10, I started blogging. And so then I started to kind of dip my toe into the entrepreneur world. I started freelancing. I did freelance client work for a while. Um, copywriting, freelance Copywriting, yeah. yeah. So I'd get clients, small clients. Um, and then I got a book deal out of the blog. Um, just one book deal. And it was small. It was like $30,000. Was that the intention? Did you start the book deal with the hope of getting, or I'm sorry, did you start the blog with the hope of getting a book deal? No, I just thought it'd be funny. Like I had done. (laughs) So it was like a hobby. Yeah. Like I'd done a lot of different things, a lot of different blogs. And it was like, why not? You know? Hmm. And I thought it'd be funny and I'd get bored of it. And then it just kind of grew, it grew, it grew. So then I was like, all right, well I can change this. And then I started to get speaking offers. Um, so then I learned how to become a public speaker. Um, and then out of that, um, an organization was like, Hey, we want you to do that. Um, that thing you're doing on the side of your life, we want you to do full time. So that was a great opportunity to learn how to do it full time. Um, and so I did that for three years and then three years ago, which is crazy to me, I was like, you know what? I want to do my own thing. (laughs) Like 
it's false of you. Eventually, it's fake of you to try to build your own thing in, inside somebody else's thing. Like, there's already an entrepreneur there. It's not you. Like you, mm -hmm. like, you have to go at that moment, you know, where you go, okay, I've done all I can possibly do. I can't use their resources to build my thing. Um, let me try it on my own. Yeah. So. What was it like going on your own? It was awesome. I mean, it was scary because you're on your own, but like it was a long process. Like it wasn't impulsive. Like in Quitter, this book I wrote, I teach. Here, one of my key principles is the pull versus the push. I would rather an opportunity pull, pull you toward it than you push your way. How can people, how do you know what that pull is? So a push move is you have one good wedding photography season and you go, it'll always be like this. And you quit your job and like month two you realize, oh, it's cyclical and I'm screwed. Right. A, pu a pull opportunity is you do stuff on the side, on the side, on the side, and every crevice and every margin you have until it gets so big you go, I financially am losing money by having a full-time job. It's pulling me toward it. Most people push because they had one good thing go well, mm -hmm. or they go, like, they put faith around it. They go, I'm stepping out in faith, which we mean be an idiot. Like, as if God <laughs> is calling you with no steps, no plan. Like, all the time we act, like, we go like, oh, I'm doing, like, I, the joke I always do is when somebody tells me, I'm going to start a coffee shop, and I'll go, well, have you worked at one? No. Well, could you work at one for six months to see if you hate coffee and people? And they're like, no, I'm going to mortgage my house. I'm going to go all, I'm going to go all in. And then they go all in, and it falls apart. And so a, a pull opportunity is where it gets so big, it just pulls you towards it. And you still have to jump. There's never a – like I always think about it this way where there's a dock and there's a boat. You can get the boat as close as you want, but you still have to jump. Sure. Um, most people, the boat's like a mile apart. Um, and then there's also people that are like, it has to touch the dock and it's not going to. Like there's always going to be that where you go, the money's not there, the opportunity's not there, I'm going to have to jump. Um, that's just that's just natural. Like you have to jump. Hmm. Love it. What are you, So as you do this stuff, like you've been running these courses, 30 days of hustle, hmm. now you're doing 90 days of business hustle. Hmm. Um, have you already started to notice, notice different personality types or like people well, not only like that I mean my new book in the fall that's coming out um, we had a researcher from the University of Memphis say I want to study the results to see what works and what doesn't which oh, is man, that's interesting which is baller because prior to that I was operating under the say whatever you want on the internet it doesn't matter like that's <laughs> 90 like if you ask any course online right now well what's your have you had a university's independent study conducted yeah. to see what works Nobody's done that. Yeah. And so it was this huge opportunity. So I can conclusively say, hey, this isn't me. It's not an antidote. It's not my personality. It's not because I'm yeah. funny. Here's what, if you do these three things, you're 60% more successful. If you do this one thing, you're 20%, you know. Yeah. So, but the, I think the consistencies I see, um, we see a lot of people quit on day two. Like it's funny how fast the the suck part comes like mm -hmm. we think the beginning will feel like if you ask somebody to divide a goal in 30 days they think it'll be 10 days of start 10 days in the middle 10 days and finish and it's usually not like that it's like day one and two are really exciting and shiny but the work starts much sooner than you think and lasts longer than you want and so that's some of the tension is that you see people that are really excited but then when it starts and they think it's their fault um that you know everybody else is enjoying it like everybody else's new year, new you, like why is it hard for me? Mm. Um, and so a big part of it is helping people get through that season because um, it happens faster than you think. So if I'm on day seven right now of Whole30, 
Am I statistically past oh the? Usually, <laughs> well, I mean, the at least for our studies, day twelve is kind of the the make or break. Like okay. if you can get so past. I just day finished 12. day twelve of thirty one days of yoga. Yeah. So, I'm, so, so you you're go. good. You're I'm golden. good. I'm going to make it. You can stop <laughs> trying now. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> is Brandon doing 31 days of yoga? No, he's not. I don't think Brandon is it can still yoga? sit still long No, enough. it's just in-home yoga. Okay. Yeah. That's funny. Have you noticed anything specific about the creative community compared to other, like, stay-at-home moms or someone who has a nine-to-five job and is ready to quit? Have they well, I mean, certain I think characteristics? The, cre- the creative community, part of their challenge is they have 20 different things they want to do, so they don't do any. Hmm. Like, so it's You notice that pretty consistently? Oh, yeah. So it's like, well, and nothing is as sexy as the thing you're not supposed to be doing as you try to finish the thing you're supposed to do. Like, the, everybody gets all these ideas, and they're like, well, what if it's this? What if it's that? Like, and, and they're not related ever. Um, and so I remember I, I read something, somebody said, if you throw one ball to somebody, they catch it. If you throw seven, they drop them all. And so the problem is we, we don't, we act like this is the only time I always tell people that like the reason writers don't finish books is that they ask like, they act like it's their last book, not their next book. So every idea has to go in it and they never finish. Mm. If you look at it and go, this is my next book and there's going to be a book after that. So these 50 new ideas okay, I'll get to you. You'll just be in the next book. So what happens to creatives is they go, especially around New Year's, I got 10 things I want to do. I got, them, I got to do them all now or I'll never do them. Who says you'll never? Like, do them in September. Like, do the two at a time. Get really good at them. Do the next two, the next two, the next two. But we have a really hard time with that. So help us put that in the context of what you started this conversation with, is, which is why you can't just have one thing. So are you... Like I can go in the future book, but while you're writing the book, are you working on seven other things? Or it's no, like, I'm, like I I'm, have seven other things. It's just right now I'm focused on getting the book done. I'm throwing those in into like the next project. So like I'm working on a book right now. I'll get edits on it tomorrow and next week. I'm gonna do a podcast, but not yet. So that doesn't mean like I'm still throwing guest ideas into a Evernote folder. Um, it just means I'm not developing the podcast right now because I've committed to finish the book. So once the book's done, then I'll do the podcast. Um, so it's, it's kind of just knowing you're iterating things, you're overlapping them, you're doing multiple things, just not at the same time. Mm-hmm. Most people, especially if you have a full-time gig, you don't have the bandwidth to do these five things. Like, yeah. you, you just don't. And if you do, they're not going to be good. Like, you need to, like, especially if you're new at getting stuff done. Like, if you're somebody who told me I'm disciplined, I'm, I've got a long track record of accomplishing things, great, do, do multiple things at once. If you're not, like one or two things is probably all you can handle right out of the gate. Speaking of book writing process, I'd love to hear more about yours. We have a lot of writers listening. I'm sure awesome. they're interested in how you decide which topics to choose, how long you let them sit, where does it start? Yeah, um, I think I, every book I write, I write because I needed it, and mm. I, I suspected other people did too. Yeah. Um, so I usually try to find a question I want, I'm, um, I'm willing to answer for two years, or three years, or four years, or five years. So I find a big question, I go, oh, that's really weird. Like, why does that happen? Or how do I, what does that mean? How does that help people? How does that hurt people? And so I start to think about the question, and I just open up an Evernote folder. And it'll say, or notebook, it'll say new book. And then every time I have an idea that might be loosely related to that, I throw it in there. I throw it in there. What was your question for do-over? My question for do-over was, like, what do you do when you get stuck? And why do people get stuck? Like, you read these stats, like in Gallup, that 70% of people are disengaged from work. 
So like, why do we as Americans in the land of the greatest opportunity, why do we accept terrible math? Like when a company says to you, well, we want 50 of your weeks, we'll give you two in return. Like that's a terrible trade. Like if somebody ever said to you, I'll give you two of something, two vacation weeks, but we want you to be miserable for the other 50 weeks. Like that's terrible. Or, you know, and so I just started to think, why do we do that though? Why do we celebrate Friday and dread Monday? Why is that kind of accepted? Why do people say it's just a job? You know, like it kills me that people think their job is just a job. Like anything you do 40 to 60 hours of every week for 40 to 60 years of your life is, is not just a job. Like it's much bigger. So I started to think about that and go, okay, if I was going to sit down with somebody and say, these are the four most important things, whether you're a photographer, a videographer, a writer, a stay-at-home mom that you need to have a meaningful career, what would they be? And can anybody learn them? So that was kind of like the overarching question. Interesting. So you write that question down and then you keep that Evernote notebook. Totally. And so then you, so anything that potentially answers that question. Yeah. Cause in that moment you're focused on quantity, not quality. Like the mistake mm -hmm. artists make is that they confuse the process. Like people are wrong when they think you write and edit at the same time. You don't, they're mm -hmm. very different activities, very different parts of your brain. So when I write a rough draft, if I need a quote, I write need quote and bold. Because if I leave to the internet to go research, it's over. Like researching is different than writing is different than editing. So at that moment, I'm just gathering ideas, gathering ideas. I'm not asking if they're good enough. Like most of your audience has eliminated great ideas before they've even hit the paper, like from their head because like, nah, it's not good. Somebody's already done that. That's, that doesn't make sense. Like, so I just throw a bunch of ideas in. And then I start to, what I'll usually do is I'll take a stack of note cards and I'll put one idea on each note card. And then I'll put them all up on the wall and start to say, say, okay, do I see patterns? Like, is there a way to organize these? Are some of these related? Are some of these polar opposites, you know? And out of that will come chapters mm -hmm. where I'll start to see, okay, there's chapters in this. And then like, I'll start to write. When do you go from Evernote to those index cards? Um, when you feel like this is a this is a book, this when is I've a got a, I've, I've got a few hundred ideas, like when I've got a few hundred ideas, and I'm I'm feeling good about it, and there's enough there, like, but sometimes you'll start a uh, start an idea and realize it's not the right idea. I'm not the best person to write that idea. It's not a natural idea to me. Um, it's not a strength. And so there's times when, I'd say one out of every three big ideas turns into a book. Like two of them, you go, eh, that was, that was kind of dumb. So like that question for do-over, for example, when you write that down, mm -hmm. did you start with, like, I guess I'm, I'm trying to figure out, did you, did you like brainstorm to come up with the question or do you just, as you bump into questions, you well, write that question Well, part of it, I mean, down? I think part of my books, somebody said, um, this director, a friend of mine, um, who uh, is the co-creator of the show Billions on Showtime, he was like, the good thing about you is you're young enough to still be making mistakes and you write about them while you're making them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my books are reflective of my own life where I'll say, wow, I just quit this, like my most famous job I ever had. I'm in a huge do over season. And what was interesting was people were like, oh, it's gonna be the worst. We're so sorry for you. Like, let us pray for you. And Jenny and I didn't feel that way. And I was like, why don't we feel like they think we should? And it was because we had built like four different things that made us really excited, not really scared. And so that's when I was like, I wonder if other people can do that. But you just kind of think through it. And again, like the idea will take you somewhere else. Like the book you intend to write is never the book you end up writing. 
So you end up going to places you didn't think you were going. I mean, that's where like J.K. Rowling has talked about, spoiler alert, like she cried when Dumbledore died. Like, because she didn't necessarily see it coming. She might not have even wanted it, but the story demanded it. Mm. And you have to follow the thread. What happens when the book changes between the time you turn in the proposal and get the deal and they gave you the advance? Oh, yeah. No, that's fine. A good editor a good editor is going along with the changes. I've asked my editor yeah. that. I, I write for Penguin, and I've said, have you ever, like, had to reject somebody's manuscript? And she was like, yeah, but it was only because somebody turned in a fiction novel when we were working on a nonfiction business book. And so, no, a good editor see like a good editor will lead you toward changes and will ride those changes with you. Um, I haven't personally had the experience where I was like, turns out this book is all about green and we had committed to all about red. Um, through the process, if you're working with a good editor, you kind of develop it alongside of each other. Yeah. I have a question. Do you consider what you do to be storytelling? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, in what yeah, ways? totally. I think. I mean, I think to me, I like advertising, and I used to love it in a different way. Now it's weird. I can't. There's certain things that get me fired up about advertising, but I used to be a huge geek about it. But good storytelling is good advertising, and vice versa. Like the best, one of the best stories I ever saw was only um, what was it? Three words long. And it was a Range Rover ad, and all it said was, not a, the. So, not a Range Rover, the Range Rover. And in three words, they told a story of blue blood and power and prestige and wealth and status. And so, yeah, good average. Like, the other thing about storytelling is <clears throat> part of the key is you have to leave enough room for me to tell the story. Because the best storyteller is you. Like, Sammy, how old are you, Sammy? I'm 24. You have 24 years of personalized Sammy experiences, memories, vocabulary. I don't have access to that. So traditionally, lazy or poor storytellers overtell the story. They overfill it. There's no room for you to jump in. Mm -hmm. Where if I start a story with enough lead-in about the ocean, you'll tell your version of that story um, with your experiences, your vocabulary. That's why you look at a Porsche ad, and it's a $200,000 car, and it's one headline, one picture, one paragraph. That's it. Because they know the owner's been telling themselves a story about the Porsche. Right. And they're going to fill it out. Yeah. Where a, a bad ad will have a thousand words. And there's nowhere for me to step in. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. What, I'm curious. Like You're super young, by the way. Oh, <laughs> like a child. Forget I that. I know. This is like, I, w I wouldn't be able to reach her audience. Do you forget I'm not cool that? Enough. Or do you... I forget that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's why we keep her around. Gosh. Yeah, we have that young perspective, like I fresh. Was, I was driving. I could have driven by the hospital when you were being born. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, what do you, I'm, so I keep thinking about your, the background of your ad agency days, and it feels like, uh, you know, those guys, like, ad agencies have creative directors. Those are very creative environments. Mm -hmm. The other night when you were live tweeting the Golden Globes, uh, you tweeted something about, like, it was after Meryl Streep's speech, uh, speech mm. and you're like um i forgot what the setup was but you said something about i'm torn because i love the arts because yeah I, yeah it was football you and love, arts. yeah you love the arts because that's your job yeah. uh but you also love football so my question is i i can imagine like i obviously view what you do as right as writing and writing is the art in general do you feel like there were people that were maybe rolling their eyes going nonfiction for business like is that really art Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I'm for me, like, and I guess, I guess it's an advertise. I think advertising is great because it inspires you to action. 
And like, mm. that's what great stories do. Right. Like, great stories right. make you go, I'm going to change, you know, like some, and people will read into them what they want to read. Like, that's what, I don't care what artist you are. The challenge is you control what you create, not how people interpret it. Like that, I mean, talk about Twitter being that way. Like you can tweet things and people will bring their own bias, their own hurt, sure. their own hopes. Um, so no, for me, I don't know. I just, and part of what I do is so humor based that I think mm -hmm. it gives it, it gives me a little more of a free pass from some of the like, well, nonfiction is an art or it's business. Like I just don't, I don't write traditional stuff. So, yeah. mm. um, and I'm at, I'm at a point in my life where like, if you don't like my stuff, like, okay, like, <laughs> fine. Like welcome to yeah. like, there's a lot of you. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I'll be just fine. Yeah. Have you taken any flack from like, man, it used to be like, everything was all about the art and comedy. No, and, I've like, taken now flack you've, where it's now like, you've sold out and you're selling business courses and like some like author. big person on Facebook, like a big chef was like, I wish there was more Christian stuff in what you do. And I went to her chef page and there was not a single Jesus reference in the cu cupcake <laughs> recipe. And so I was just like, come on, dude. So like I'll, I've taken some of that where people will say, I wish there was, but what people, when people say that, and that's fine for them to say that they get to express their opinion. Um, they're forgetting stuff. Christians like was a side hobby that I did after or before my full-time day job, which paid all our bills. I now do this for a job. So I always tell authors, like if somebody tells you, you talk about your book too much, ask them if they went to work Monday through Friday last week. And if they did say, so did I like mm -hmm. you, like this is my job. And, and the problem, like that's the internet. The problem with the internet is this, like, cause people go, did the internet make more jerks? And I, you could argue that, but my theory is always like in 1985, there were a bunch of jerks in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I lived in Massachusetts and I didn't know about them. I had no interaction with them. I could create whatever I wanted to create and they couldn't comment on it. Like I was fine. Now I have access to all those jerks in Tulsa, Oklahoma and Portland, Oregon. You have access to every jerk in every city. So, and they can comment on your thing <laughs> with no cost, no entry, sure. it's a tweet. And so like, that's the challenge of being an artist now is that I remember somebody said to me, a friend said, hey, do you wanna know what Kurt Vonnegut told me about criticism? And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, of course. And he said, Kurt Vonnegut said, if Amazon reviews existed when Mark Twain was alive, Mark Twain would've killed himself. Because think about it, like when Mark Twain was writing, the only real reviews were written by trained experts in newspapers. There was no review next to the product like when he when somebody like and the other thing is that if we called reviews on amazon what they were opinions you wouldn't care as much if they call them customer opinions if there was editorial reviews and customer opinions you go ah, that's an opinion who cares but we call it a review and we go let me see what sally thought of this and you go have you have you ever met sally and we're so wired to take people's feedback i remember at auto trader we did this focus group and we asked this lady, why did you buy your car? And she was like, "Some this guy on the bus said it was a good car. And we were like, a dude on a bus? And you go like, that's ridiculous. But dude, like, people trust other people in weird ways. Speaking of jerks, I would, I'm really interested to hear what advice you would have for creatives listening to this podcast. This is, yeah. 
who are dealing with haters. This is one of my favorite topics, by the way, that you that you talk about. I know it's something you can tell it's sort of a passion of yours. Yeah, uh, and I, I've I just forgot been what it was. Hammered lately, so I've been <laughs> thinking about it. Yeah, but I mean, look, you've always—I feel like watching your career over the last few years—it's always something that you're speaking to. It's like how to deal with the haters. Well, and and it's still like I don't know. So I guess I think about it a lot of different ways. I think about it, um, you know, are they in the trenches too? Like, mm-hmm. if you're not in the trenches, I really discount what you're saying um, because you haven't done it. Like, it's one thing for another author to say, hey, be careful about this. Like, I think you're, you know, and I also, I also go, what's their motivation? Um, you know, what, you know, what's their, do they know me? Um, I very rarely get criticism from people who know me. Um, I very regularly get criticism from people who don't know me and want to, you know, and are looking for a fence that might not be there. And so that, you know, and. I don't know. It just that stuff drives me crazy. So for me, I have to talk to other people about it. So like, here's a great way: if you're an artist and you're dealing with criticism or haters, have a circle of friends you can text. Like, you know, when I get somebody who says something terrible to me, I'll screenshot it and I'll send it to Jeremy Cowart and Kyle Chowning and Carlos Whitaker, and we'll all laugh about it. We'll be like, "Holy cow!" <laughs> like that person felt that strongly about my book or a tweet. Like I wrote this tweet about not going to church on Sunday at Christmas. And so many Christians were so mean to me. And the irony was they were they were being jerks about wanting to go worship Jesus and learn about his grace. Like, I wasn't saying you don't get to go to church. I wasn't saying I hate Jesus. Like, I was just saying <laughs> as a pastor's kid, like, here's my personal experience. And so many people, like, I remember this one woman was like, you're pathetic and bitter. And like, she just kind of railed on me. And I said, well, like, your Twitter profile is, a, is about the Prince of Peace and Emmanuel and you call the stranger pathetic and bitter, can you explain that tension to me? Yeah. And she just blocked me. Um, <laughs> but most of the time, and the other thing I'll say is like mute people. Like, like Nothing we wanna, wrong with the mute button. We want to solve people yep. or we want to win them over. And so like I love to mute people. Um, and then I love to take real advice from real people. The problem with hate, and I always tell people this, is if you label all criticism hate, you never get better. Like there are friends and people in your circle that will go, this could have been different and it could have been better. Like mm-hmm. I, I remember I bombed on a show once like to teenagers and it was just flat. It was like just so flat. It was like 1,500 kids. And these two guys after were like, do you want to know why? And I was like, yeah, totally. And they said it was too bright. The lights were too bright. And they said teenagers feel awkward. They don't want to laugh at the wrong thing. They already feel like the spotlight's on them. And if it's bright, they won't engage. And I was like, that does that can't be the reason. But so two hours later, I spoke to the same group. Turn the house lights down. Completely different audience. Completely different engagement. And so if I had interpreted their feedback as, oh, these guys were attacking mm-hmm. me, because what happened? The sad thing that happens to artists is that if you get beat up enough, you get oversensitive and you assume everybody is a hater. Yeah, of course. And like the other problem is you remember stuff. Like I remember, like I know some dude's name, like his first and last name. I had said the same joke twice in like two years. Like I had this joke that was, and it was a stupid joke. It was just nothing. It was like nothing good comes of an NFL player who's mentioned an article that involves the phrase outside a bar. Cause like it's never, they helped a homeless person. It's always, he threw a Christmas Turkey on a car windshield, you know, like a stripper punched him in the throat. And so I did that joke twice. Cause two NFL players got arrested and this guy was like, you've already done that. And I'm like, I remember that. Like, and now like, so that's the problem with artists is you have to constantly shed that stuff. Mm. And I don't think you get over it. That's my big thing is yeah. 
people go, when did you overcome fear? And I always think like, never. I think you always like, and part of it is you just keep doing bigger and bigger stuff. Like you rent an mm -hmm. office, like you buy an office, like, and you get more, like, and you do big, you do a conference. Like, yeah. like your fears were different five years ago when you didn't have your own event. Like now you have event fears, like, and that's not failure. That's part of growing to a bigger platform. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. What, what role does Jenny, your wife play in the criticism thing? Well, she's really smart. Um, I mean, she like, she'll, she'll respond sometimes. Like she told me the other day, she's like, Hey, I responded to this person. Um, cause we went to Panama city and the Panama city. Have you been to the Panama city Walmart there? Yes. Like, it is crazy town, dude. Ghost stuff. Can't go yeah. stuff or big stuff. That's big what stuff. Big stuff. It's yeah. insane. <laughs> the Walmart there is amazing. And like, yeah, especially if you want to buy like plastic sandcastle building tools. It's crazy. <laughs> and so we went and I was like, you haven't really lived until you've gone. I tweeted something like that. And somebody was like, how dare you start the year off with negativity? And Jenny was like, he was being honest. Like we enjoy that Walmart and they deleted their comment. But I, but Jenny, for, I mean, Jenny is just like, she's very much like, ah, screw them. Like who, like, who are they? Like, cause the problem is, as an artist, here's what you do. Somebody insults you on Twitter. Then you go to their profile. You read about their life. You, you scan to see how many followers they have. Like you, you go on this rabbit trail of like, mm. well, what photos do they take? Or like what, you know? And it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't go well. Um, yeah. And it was funny, like when I tweet stuff about my kids, if you respond, I say, well, how have you handled it differently with your kids? And 99 times out of 100, the person doesn't have kids. So then I'm like, I don't, I don't even want to hear it. Like yeah. we're not in, like, we're not even having the same conversation. The big thing for artists though, I would say 99 times out of 100, the person that was mean to me didn't want a conversation. They wanted to drop off our grenade and then go mm. on about their life. So yeah. you have to know as an artist, like you can't, you can't wait for closure because it's not coming. Like in most situations, the person's moved on and they're like, that's their thing. And they're, yeah. they're just a jerk and that's, that's okay. Um, but for Jenny, Jenny, like criticism wise, Jenny tells me like it is. Like, and, and that's, that's just part of being married for 16 years now. So like I'm doing my podcast and she said, she said her fear was that my, the size of my platform would give me access to guests I hadn't earned yet. I was like, what do you mean? She was like, well, because you have like 300,000 Twitter followers, you can probably interview famous people, but you're not good enough yet to interview them. And I was like, that's a legit, like, and that's a criticism, but it's a legit, like she's right. Like, I don't want to charisma and platform size my way into something that I'm not good at yet. So mm. what is like, my job is to interpret that and go, I need to do a season of eight. And I need to be really deliberate about who I interview friends that, I mean, Nashville is full of people to interview. Sure. I need to get really good. And then second season, if I'm still doing it, then I'll expand, you know? Mm. So, but Jenny, Jenny is blessed with the gift of not caring what anyone thinks. I have the opposite caring, like what everyone thinks. Like there's probably people on the street. I wish liked me right now, <laughs> but I don't, I don't no, have access I'm the same to way. Them. It's weird. I feel like our wives play the similar role, but similar entertainers, role part of entertainers is the ability to try to create joy in people. Uh, totally. Yeah. And so like the best thing I heard about criticism was from Bill Maher and I'm not a huge, like we don't agree on most things. Um, there was this doc, this documentary called heckler, like, it's a great documentary, super filthy, like mm -hmm. crazy dirty as far as language. Sure. And so they asked Bill Maher, can you ever not care about criticism? And he said, no, because to be an entertainer, you have to care about everything and you don't get to shut out that. You don't get to care about somebody laughing or engaging or smiling or going along for the ride on the story if you also don't care about 
that they're negative. And he was like, it's a two-way street. Hmm. And I thought that was a really wise way to say So what it. about Jenny's criticism? Like when she says something like that, like I'm, my biggest fear is this, how do you feel in that moment? Well, now that we've been married a long time, I get it. The first five years of our marriage, I thought spouses were just supposed to be cheerleaders. Like you say, I'm going to do this thing. And they go, yay, good yeah, for you. Yeah, they're my biggest cheerleader. Yeah. And that, like a lot of young marriages are that way. And it creates, a, um, there's no room for honesty. And so the spouse doesn't get to be fully them. And so I think that's a really, like a really toxic place for a marriage. And so now though, like sometimes it takes me a little while to get it. Like my job. But are you offended? Like how are you feeling in that Yeah, moment? but like, like my job as, an, as a husband is to shorten the distance between when she tells me something is true and I believe it. So first couple years of marriage, it was like three weeks of me being like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> and now it's like an hour of me going, what does she mean? Um, oh yeah, she's right. Like I could see how that like. But you also have to say to yourself, what's their goal? Jenny's goal isn't that I don't do a podcast or I don't have fun or mm -hmm. I don't interview people. It's that it, it's really done with excellence so that I look good and, and feel good about the product. So if you remember your spouse's goal in a healthy marriage, like there's definitely marriages where the spouse's goal is to hurt you and this is terrible. But in a healthy marriage, their goal is goodness for you. And if you can remember that, it's easier. Yeah. Do you think there's a role then for critics of art in our culture? Yeah, like, I think. Like but, the Mark Twain old days of. Yeah, I think so, critic? but I don't think, like, I don't. It's not the internet. Like, <laughs> it's not Twitter. Like, I can't remember a time where somebody. I mean, people fix typos. That's honestly helpful. The other day, somebody told me, "Hey, you did your wrong." I changed it. I said, "Hey, thanks for the heads up." Um, but I can't remember like a really helpful thing where somebody I didn't know said, hey, here's this, you need to be smarter about this. Um, what I about think, movie critics, though? Yeah, movie critics, I think. But like those, most, a lot of those people are trained. Like a lot of those people, that's their background. They're mm -hmm. committed to that. Um, yeah, I mean, then you, but then you go into like Rotten Tomatoes. Like that can sink a movie when a buzz comes out. Like the movie Passengers bombed. Now, was it because of Rotten Tomatoes or was it because it was a bad movie? It's, it's kind of, it's hard to say. But yeah, I think there's definitely a role for critics. My biggest thing is I'm a much bigger believer in you can't see your situation honestly because you're in it. You need people around you that love you and trust you to say, hey, be careful about this thing. You need to be smart about this thing. Like my dad always used to tell me, um, make sure you surround yourself with people whose financial livelihood isn't based on you because mm -hmm. they can't tell you the truth. So like if you're at a company and you don't have an outside board or if you're at a company, like the line I used in do over was that leaders who can't be questioned end up doing questionable things. So show me a company that fell, show me a church that fell and I'll show you a leader who could only be told what they wanted to hear. So yeah, I think you need criticism. I don't think it's gonna come from Instagram though. Yeah. Going back to the creative thing you said, uh, what was you said that the biggest problem you see in creatives is that they're trying to do so many things at the same or they think they can do everything What was yeah. it you said about well, that? they're trying to do so many things as if it's their only chance too. Hmm. like it's that M&M mentality of like you got what shot I would argue that There are less once-in-a-lifetime moments than you think like I talked to a 22 year old and he had a company and he's like I think I'm gonna do an outside investment even though I don't want to lose ownership He's like, but this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and I said dude, you're 22 like what are you saying that at 23? <laughs> For the next 50 years, you yeah. don't have opportunities. Like, 
I can probably name on one hand my once in a lifetime opportunities. I said no to the Dave Ramsey opportunity twice before I said yes. Like that wasn't even a once in a lifetime opportunity. Like there are definitely some of those, but we dramatize things because it's fun and it's it's kind of exciting. But a lot of times, if you'll be patient on it for a second, you'll go, oh yeah, 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 I can make a better decision. Like, Are there any other things that come to mind? Like as you watch different creative types or artists go through like 30 days of hustle type programs as you yeah, I think there's, there's other things that you notice in them that um, make them different from what the, some well, I think folks. artists sometimes lose track of the long game and they play the short game mm-hmm. and it's, it's painful to them. So why, why do they do example, that? a musician. So if you're a musician and you travel, say you travel, say you, you sing in churches and you put on Instagram, oh, I hate being gone from my family. It's the worst part of my job traveling. You made every client that booked you feel like a huge jerk. And they read that and they hate that. Mm -hmm. And you are short-term thinking of what's my need and you're forgetting there's a client behind that. Um, Or you're trying to save money on a corner of something and you forget the long-term play. Um, And businesses do this all the time too. I think sometimes artists get stuck in their art. They miss the long-term play. And the other thing is they feel bad about selling it. Like artists feel like we still have this sellout mentality. But I always like... I know authors that are like, I just feel bad bothering. Like my friend released a book the other day. And he's like, why does it feel like my soul dies on release day? And I always tell them like, well, then next time do a diary, like on your nightstand. But if you're going to put a book on a bookshelf, you have to sell it. Like everyone has to have, like Chris Gillibo always talks about, you don't have to be an entrepreneur, but you have to think like an entrepreneur, especially if you're a writer. Mm-hmm. Like have you, there's a new commercial on AT&T, really smart commercial. It's this guy walking down the street and everything he's doing on his phone comes around him. So like he watches an episode of Seinfeld and he wears the puffy shirt. He gets on a bus full of Vikings and it's Game of Thrones. He listens to a Sesame Street thing from his son and there's Big Bird. And Jenny was like, your industry is screwed. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, all those things, he didn't look at a book once. And like if you as, as an author walk down a plane, like I dare you to walk down the aisle of a plane sometime and like count the number of books versus the number of iPads and phones. Like if you're an author and you're not like at least a little bit like hold up, like it's getting harder (laughs) to sell books, Mm. then you're not paying attention. Um, Same with photography. Like if you're a photographer and you're like, yeah, I know that everyone thinks they're a photographer now, but I do something different. Okay, sure. That's great. But you have to be really deliberate. So I would say, I think artists still just have such a hard time with selling. Mm. Um, And thinking like the other thing I always tell them is, your work it isn't your identity. It's a byproduct of your identity. And that's a fine line. But the hard part of art is you have to put your heart into it when you create it. And then you have to kind of divorce yourself from it to share it. Like, so that you can use the heart on something else next time. And so that's a tension for people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should I phrase this correctly? Uh, you've talked often about working for free. You want to mm-hmm. speak to that a little bit, to the creative community? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the tension is friends will say to you, you're so good at it. I just need a quick logo or I'm sure Brandon deals with this all the time. Like I just want a quick photo. Um, and the problem is there's a couple of problems with that. Um, one, it removes your ability to be generous. Like it forces you into generosity, which isn't generosity. Um, two, it's never quick. The most difficult demanding clients I've ever worked for are the cheapest ones or the ones that were free. Like it, Makes no sense. But the expensive clients know how to be a good client. Mm. Um, And it treats you like a hobby. Like just because you enjoy doing it doesn't mean you shouldn't be paid for it. You know, and there's that weird tension of like, 
it's just art. Like you can just mm. whip something up and good artists don't, they only have two speeds off or all the way on. Like when somebody goes, just write up a quick thing. There's no such thing for me. Like I'm going to put all of myself into the Christmas card and all of myself into the thing. And it just becomes this really like, and the other thing is you wouldn't do it to other professions. That's what I always tell people. Like next time you want to do that to a photographer, designer, developer, hairstylist. Like when I did that piece, everybody came out of the woodwork and said, I'm a lawyer that happens. I'm a, I'm a stay at home mom and people want to have six hour play dates with my kids. Cause I'm already at home. Like, it's crazy and it, it takes away your ability to be generous um, and it takes away your ability to earn a living. It makes you mad, like it ruins the friendship um, and it, it's just so toxic. And so what I, what I always teach artists is this, when somebody says, hey, I want you to do something for me, all you say is these magic words, what's your budget? And then they're gonna do one of two things. They're gonna say, we don't have one or they're gonna say, here's my budget. And if they say they don't have one, all you say is, well, in order to honor my paying clients, I can't do pro bono right now. Thank you for thinking of me. Because mm. when you do something for free, you're stealing from somebody who paid. And that's the tension. And you don't answer and go, well, my rate is this, ah, and get mad. You just say, what's your budget? Because it helps them remember, oh, that's right, you're a professional. And then like, often the client will find money. There's a lot of clients, I wish this wasn't the case, who try to get it free first, and then if they can't, we'll pay you. So mm -hmm. most of the time when I do that, they come back and go, well, what's your rate? Like, what would it cost? You know, they have money. They were just between getting it free or, or paying, they're going to choose get it free. Um, and so I've had so many artists say to me, I made $1,000 last week because I asked, what's your budget? Sure. Mm -hmm. um, but, and the, here's the other thing. If they say to you, we never pay for this kind of work, they're trying to shame you. Um, they're trying to make you the greedy one while everybody else is generous. And if, it's, if the relationship starts that way... It's going to suck the whole yeah, time. Yeah, you just shouldn't get into that. Like yeah. the rhyme I always do, which is terrible. Jenny's like, this is so cheesy, but I'm pretty cheesy. I always think like <laughs> if they were bad during the ask, they'll be bad during the task. Like if they were a jerk during the negotiation, it's not going to go well. It's going to go all downhill yeah. from there. So yeah. yeah, once they think they own you, like forget it. Um, yeah. And so, and, and the other thing is I still do discount stuff. Like there's stuff I do where I go, you know what? It's in my own town or, you know, like. And I'm not saying be like a jerk about something. I'm saying be deliberate, like do stuff for people that you want to do stuff for, but don't feel forced into it. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that asterisk at the end, you know, cause I, even hearing you talk, it's like, yes, I hear you. I've been that guy on the receiving end, um, where people are be like, Hey man, it's just, uh, it's just 30 minutes, just down the streets, local in Nashville. Just come do the gig. You just do it. I got few, one of those. Just yesterday. do a few tricks. And, but you know, now like directing story, there's a lot of people that makes story possible. And, and story is one of those type of passion projects that it wouldn't be possible without all the creators that help us pull it off. But it see, that's free. part of like part of your job as the organizer is to say, how do I make this as enticing as possible? So like there's other ways to pay somebody than, sure. than uh, the fee. Like you could say, hey, we're going to film it in a beautiful, gorgeous way and you can keep that and use that in promo or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. so a good client is flexible enough to recognize, okay, I'm asking for a trade-off. What can I give? Like, so for me, like I, I've done free stuff a ton, but it'll be, I want it to be on my decision, not because I felt shamed into yeah, it. Yeah, I do free stuff, but I know I'm getting, you know, far more promotional value out of it based on the exposure of that. Event. Or, yeah. or I wanted to do, you know, like I wanted to do it because Thistle Farm, I like Thistle Farms, you know, and mm. sure. okay, like it's fun serving them. So you're good with, I'm doing this complimentary in exchange for value. I'm just 
just not I'm doing this for free in exchange for I don't want it to be I'm doing it because I'm too afraid to say no Mm. yeah because here's the thing you show up pissed yeah like you show up furious most of the time like you know you weren't supposed to do it when you show up mad absolutely man Um, and so yeah I'm laughing because I have a specific memory of a time where I was like why am I here right now yeah and like and it always happens that like something else good is going on that you should have been doing. Yeah, um, one of those once in a lifetime opportunities. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're just like, ah. Um, but no, so yeah. like, do it for free for no value if it's something you believe in and you want to serve that way. Awesome. Um, do it for free if there's other value. You know, like I remember the first time I spoke at Ramsey, I thought, should I charge them? Because they have a devotional thing. You've probably done it before. Uh-huh. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to. Like that was more valuable to me to do it and get into that organization than it was to get $200. Yeah. Agreed. So there's, you know, I spoke, I probably spoke free three or four times last year. Like, um, once was an event that my dad, it was at the the seminary my dad went to. Yeah. Um, and it was a reduced rate and I was like, cool. Like I love that seminary. Like it's part of my childhood. Like they were so kind to my father and my family, like all day, like I'll do that under rate. Um, but that is something I chose. I didn't feel pressured, you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, right. yeah, story, story is the type of conference that can't pay a lot of its speakers, but it's also, it's such a good room that a lot of the speakers, like friends of mine that I, that I genuinely called in favors to sure. going, Hey man, like, would are you interested in coming to speak? All of them who were willing to do it have left with like, but that's that business different. came back to them tenfold. You but know? part of that's different because you're also, you've been on the other side too. Like sure. you have experience being the entertainer. So yeah. you approach it yeah. with empathy in a way somebody yeah. who hasn't might not have. But just like to. for them, like there are certain conferences that if they call me tomorrow and said, will you come speak at our conference? It's like, yes, absolutely. I don't care if you're yeah. paying me or not. Oh yeah, dude. Tomorrow if Ted was like, I absolutely. mean, Ted, Ted, not Ted X, X or Z or Y. <laughs> if Ted, Ted yeah, you're was gonna go like, do it. hey, of we course. would just speak in Singapore, pay your way, you'd be like, done. <laughs> yep, it's like absolutely. I'm going to Singapore, you know, like. That's the flexibility, but that gets back to what we started this conversation off with, with the faucets. You need enough faucets going so that you can do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're so tied to my next gig is the only way I'm making money, you're screwed. You, you can't have no say yes. creative flexibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is funny. It's ironic too, because I think a lot of, a lot of artists get that in the creative community, that whole, I don't want to go work for free thing, but they don't apply it to other industries. Like mm-hmm. I've, I, I literally, I have someone I can think of right now who I saw on Facebook say, whining about a client who didn't pay them for free. And it stuck out to me. I was like, that's interesting. I don't know why it stood out to me. But then two weeks later, it was like, hey, man, uh, I noticed stories coming up soon. Like, you think I might be able to get a ticket or something? It's like, yeah. dude, yeah. you were just whining about yeah. not doing a photo shoot for free. But now you... That's <laughs> weird. Yeah. yeah now you got to be but... consistent. I think that's what, yeah. like, we appreciate consistency. Like mm-hmm. people respond, like that's the whole definition of hypocrisy is just being inconsistent. Yeah. Let's talk about social media. You've obviously been insanely successful on social media. Um, is there, is there anything, is there anything that you see artists and the creative community struggle with when it comes to social media and how they, well, I mean, I think remembering there's a big audience, you know, mm-hmm. you get to a certain point where you lose the right to casually say some things like where, you're you're now a leader of that particular topic or conversation and what used to be a coffee house is now a stage so like when you had 10 followers you could say whatever like when you have 10,000 it's different like you have to or when it's tied to your business like there are political things i do not say on purpose because it's not worth the loss 
Like it's just not, and it's not a space. That's the thing with social media. Somebody the other day said that something I had tweeted was short-sighted, and I said short-sighted on a medium that allows 140 characters. Yeah, you <laughs> bet it was short-sighted. Like, how was I supposed to explain all of my thoughts in that? Um, and that was what, like, the Meryl Streep thing. People were like, "You could have said more," and I wanted to say, "But it was Twitter." Like I couldn't have like. There's I, only so much space. There's only so much space. Yeah. I wanted to throw an idea out there and have a conversation, and so I think a lot of times artists forget that. Um, the other mistakes they make is that they try to be everywhere. Like you don't have to be everywhere, mm. um, and they never. I think sometimes they go, "What's the point?" Like, "What's what's the point?" Like right now, Instagram Live. I'm like, "What's the point?" Like it disappears. Like, does anyone know where those hearts go? Like, that's, that's what everyone is telling us. Everyone's saying, like, if you want to be successful, you've got to develop. But a big where does it go? Part. Like, where, tell me, like, if you can tell me what a heart on Instagram Live does for your brand, like, no, like, there's no bucket, mm -hmm. and people are like, well, I think it might involve engagement somehow. I'm like, that makes that makes no sense. Same with like Snapchat. <laughs> like, everybody's like, you got to be on Snapchat. You got to be on Snapchat. And I'm not against Snapchat, but I it's hard to find a compelling reason. Sure. when I'm already trying to do other stuff. Like, right. and I'm already, like for me, my two biggest social media mistakes were not focusing on my email list and not focusing on Facebook. Like Facebook is, like when I put something on Twitter or Instagram, I'll get a thousand whatever's likes, follows, retweets. On Facebook, I'll get 2.8 million. Like, and you go, okay, 2.8 million versus a thousand. Weird. That's, and people are always like, Facebook's dead, it's for your aunt. Like, fine, I'll be on Facebook. Exactly. Like. Dude, like Facebook ads are like printing money. Like they are the best, like every artist, if I could tell you one thing other than buy do-over, it would be uh, do Facebook ads. Yeah. Man, they're yeah. so great. It's weird because I, you know, I've always been horrible at social media and I feel like I've tried so hard so many times on different platforms. Um, but yet, you know, I, sometimes I, it depends on the day. Some days I'm just like, oh, I gotta get better at social media. Some days I'm like, I feel like I could delete all these accounts and still make a great living. Yeah, I just don't um, know, like, if you're honest, like, here's the problem. So, like, I looked at one of my accounts from September to January, four months, of, and I was on it pretty actively, and I gained 4,000 followers, which you go, oh, well, that's great. Unless you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people and you added 4,000, you go, well, what's the ROI? Like, why? Mm -hmm. Like, why? Like, that's what artists are bad at. I'd asking themselves is yeah. mm. well what's the ROI on that and it can't be like it's fun like that's fine unless you're trying to build a business well like that's the disconnect for me is I have friends who have you know six figure social media followings and I have like you know 12 Twitter followers mm -hmm. and yet you know they're they're calling me all the time going dude you did like 150 live events last year and like that made that was like so much more money, and I'm trying to figure out how to pay my rent next month. But and a I'm lot like, of that's like but you have like you have like a quarter million YouTube subscribers. How are you figuring out how to pay your rent? You know? No, I have mm -hmm. friends that make, but I have friends that are successful that make half a million dollars a year that live paycheck to paycheck. So like mm -hmm. the amount of money, you can be done with any amount of money. Yeah, but what's the disconnect between someone like me make like doing fine? having not a very big social media presence and people who have massive social media presence. Well, the, di the no disconnect money. is a couple of things. One, to, to make that your only metric removes the relational side of things. Like, I don't know what percent of your business, but some percent comes from, we had Harris two years ago and it was great. And uh, it was really, it was really good when we had Harris. And, uh, <laughs> 
We had Harrison. He was great. So like, there's relationship side of it too. We, we should tell everyone like, there's a picture being taken in the background yeah. right now for social media, <laughs> and John cleverly just held up a copy of, of Dear yeah. because, because he's a marketing genius. Yeah. So like, but part of it is it's much bigger than that. And then here's the other thing, like you have to know, like, okay, so say you have 10 million YouTube subscribers, and for five years. Dave loved and liked and commented and shared your funny videos of your family. And then you write a book and it's a book about, I don't know, your love of soccer. And you go, well, I've got 10 million people. They'll buy the book. They aren't into that. Like they might not be good book buyers. So that person with 250,000 subscribers, maybe there's 10 decision makers. You know, like maybe most of them are teenagers who love mm. a funny video or they're 24 year olds who love a funny video but they're not decision makers. They don't have events, they don't have churches, they don't have camps, they don't have, you know. And so you, you then go, okay, well, how many decision makers do you have in your tribe, in your conversation? And do they base their decisions off of that? Um, some people will, like some people will, that's a great way for them to market. But I think the, the mistake is going, I have 500,000 people and like, if you want to kill yourself, like send out an email campaign and then watch how many people actually do the thing you want them to do. <laughs> you know, like, like 10,000 people, like, and you have 18% open it and you have 1% click on it and you have sure. 1% buy it. But like the myth, and this isn't against this person's idea. There was this idea back in the day about like, all you need is a thousand crazy, fans. thousand fans. Raving fans, yeah. The garbage behind that idea is that we think it means one plus one plus one plus one. Like that, that's not the case. To have a thousand true fans, you need a hundred thousand because that thousand is cycling in and out constantly. Mm. Like it's not that like you don't start at zero and count your way to a thousand. You go, now I got my thousand. No, you have to get like fifty thousand so that like forty thousand of them kind of like you and like a hundred of those really like you and like five of them will show up somewhere. Like I've learned that the last month. I've met probably five people at like airports or on planes and they'll be like, I love your books. I'm your biggest fan. And I'll go, have you read do over? And they'll go, never heard of it. And you go like, that's just the real, and it's not Huge that fan. Yeah. yeah. It's not that they don't like me. It's that here's this weird thing. They have their own life. Like mm. they're doing their own thing. Like, yeah. and so that's where I think artists have a hard time with that. Yeah. I had a buddy text me yesterday. He's like, Hey man, I'm pitching you for this uh, thing. It's a huge deal. It's a ton of exposure. Um, do you have some videos that you can send me of, that, that's representative of the, the type of stuff that, that you want them to see. Um, that text him, somebody's like, this is amazing. And then it, I didn't say anything, but in my mind I was like, how, he's known about me for a long time, follows me online. Like I promoted the heck out of those videos. Like how has he not seen them? So then I text him like another YouTube link to another video. And he's like, dude, that was amazing. I'm like, you haven't seen that yet? Yeah. And like every video I sent him. And so it's weird because, you know, we have a great relationship. I have this, I'm under the illusion, I guess, that he's aware of all the stuff that I was making, and yet all the things that I've promoted nonstop and hyped on social media, he hadn't seen a single one of them. Yeah. Um, That's a big myth of social media. The problem is the artist has touched it every time. They think everybody's reacted to it every time. Hmm. Like, I'm, I'm probably going to try this. Like, I know this dude. He has, like, half a million Twitter followers, and he does cycles. So he does two 12-hour cycles of content. And I know this because he'll use some of my tweets or quotes, and he gives me credit. So like 8 a.m., I'll see a tweet go out. And I'll see like all these people, da-da-da-da. Then 8 p.m., same tweet go out, da-da-da-da-da. And I've never seen somebody say, dude, that's the same tweet. <laughs> like the myth, though, in your head is that sure. everybody, like, 
somebody said asked me that the other day. They're like, do you ever put ideas from blogs in the books? And I was like, yeah, sure, if it's the right idea. And they're like, oh, I don't know about that. And I was like, that is such an ego thing to think three years ago. Someone's going to be like, hold on a second. I remember reading this three years ago. Didn't mm. you put this in a blog? You know, I mean, like that, I think so, every time Seth Godin releases a book, I usually see a blog post hyping that book that's like, if you want to read the book, awesome. Here's where you can go buy it. Yeah. Or you can just go through the blog for the last 300 yeah, days. Yeah, and he's brilliant at that. So, like, I, I don't know. Jenny's been, I haven't, like, I'm just now starting to push the do-over uh, paperback because it just came out. And there's a lot of people that are like, I didn't know you had that. I didn't know. Like, it's crazy to me. Every time I do a course, I'm like, it's closing, it's closing, it's closing. Inevitably, people the week after are like, oh, I wish I had known about that. And on my end, I'm like, I'm killing people right now. Like, they're so bothered. Yeah. 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 I, I actually, uh, I had a publisher reach out to me while I was speaking at a large conference who wanted to meet, meet with me while I was at that conference and sat down. And their question was, have you ever considered writing a book? And I was like, well, how'd you find out about me? It's like, oh, well, we, you know, we saw you on the speaker lineup and then went and checked out your website. I'm like, did you, did you see the book on my website? And it's like, so I don't, that's, that's probably everyone's fault, right? Because I've got to take, I've got to own some of that. Somehow oh, yeah, you went like, to my website. I need to change my website to like. Yeah. Somehow you went to my website, but you didn't even know that you I You should never be surprised that I speak. Like, yeah. And part of that is how your website is presented, how your ideas are presented. Yeah. But no, I mean, I think that gets back to like. You have to, I don't know the numbers because who knows the numbers. You have to be willing to bother X amount of people in order to reach X amount. Like for me, the mistake I made one year, I did a book tour and I only sent one email out about it. Like I tweeted about it, but I should have emailed about it three or four times. So then like every time I'd go to a city and I'd post the photo, people would go, oh, I wish I knew you were in Dallas. I wish I knew you were in Kansas City. And that's not their fault. Like I sent one email. Like mm. I, but because I, I was afraid of the fictional person I was going to go. We get it. You're coming to Kansas City. But screw that guy. I'm not doing this for that guy. Like, the person that complains about your promotion wasn't going to buy your stuff. Yeah. Why, like, why do they get a voice? Yeah. Like, who cares? Exactly. Like, that's like a chicken restaurant in town, like a hot chicken restaurant in town um, being like, oh, man, these vegans are really mad. They don't like us. I'm like, well, guess what? They're not our customer. Like, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. This has been an amazing conversation. I know Sammy, Sammy's got a few questions for you. When we can, we like to finish up with just sure. these final three She's questions. She's young. Well, there's like, we love hearing uh, each different <laughs> guest uh, <laughs> answer the same three questions. Sure. Uh, and I'll try, we'll try to keep it short because sometimes these turn into like really long, long conversations. Rants, but yeah. yeah, we'll try to keep it quick. But uh, what's your favorite book, your favorite story? Uh... I don't know. I'd probably, the one I've read the most, mm -hmm. if I'm honest, is The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. Mm. Um, it's super dorky. Like, everybody <laughs> in this room has probably dated too much to have read that book. It's um, like sci-fi? Oh, yeah. No, it's like fantasy. It's super okay. dorky. But I've read it probably the first book. It's one of those books that has like 15 sequels. Do you that read a lot one? of fiction? I just finished Dune. Uh, yesterday I read Dune again. Have you read Dune? No, but it's, I don't read any fiction and it's not so because I don't want to, it's just a time thing because I feel like there's so much to learn. I always end up reading nonfiction. Yeah, Dune is great. Do you feel like reading a lot of fiction plays a role in your work? Oh yeah. Yeah. Fiction's great. Well, like Dune is full of real non-fiction ideas. Like it's politics and race and like, it's really good. But I'd say the wheel of time. I mean, like, I'd love to give you a fancy answer, but it's super dorky. <laughs> love it. Like, if you saw the cover, you'd be like, that looks like there's a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
That's amazing. And um, what's something that most people don't know about you, but you think is crazy? I'm really into numbers, like in an OCD way. Like, like statistics type of things? No, like if I have a goal, like say I've, like I've got this 90 days of business hustle, so there's things I'm trying to do for 90 days. I'll think to myself, okay, if I like, let's pretend I'm a college football coach. And last year we lost to our rival 90 to zero. And every day that I do this thing is like one more point I scored in our next game. Hmm. So like I have a goal right now and the score is 79 to 11 because it's, I've done it 11 days in a row. So you're like keeping like streaks. Yes. Streaks, but also like the story of college football, like that's a, like that's, that's just me making it up. And then I'll think, <laughs> so if we've got 11 points, probably we did a set, we did a touchdown with a two point conversion plus a field goal. And I think about the press conference, like in my head every day, like today I got up. It's and, like gamifying things. Yeah. Today I got up yeah. and I was like 79 to 11 and the press was like, boy, you got killed. And I'm like, well, last year we lost by 90 this year. We only lost by 68. So that's a 22 point swing. So is it, is it the score I wanted? It's not guys, but am I proud of the kids? I am. They got in the end zone. You know, so gotta, what if you're, so what if you're, you have a course that opens up and your goal is that you take 500 people through 30 days of hustle mm-hmm. and 498 people sign up. Is that going to drive you crazy? No, won't, that won't drive me crazy. Um, like, nah, I don't like, I'll let it go pretty quickly. Um, and I won't have a story about that. Um, but I'll, but part of me will think like I can find two others. Like I would probably try to find the two others, but it wouldn't drive me crazy because of that number. Yeah. Because I'd let the number go. 79 to 11 though pretty good i mean it's not the greatest score yet but tomorrow it's 78 to 12 and that's two six-point touchdowns by the way congratulations thanks i feel like we got it in the bag the day's half over all right last question what have you found to be your greatest source of inspiration especially when you're in a rut um i mean my kids are really funny Uh, my family's a great source of inspiration like book wise, I always recommend, um, like skiing is a huge inspiration for me, but we live in freaking Nashville. So good luck with that. Um, did you ski this past weekend? No, but I'm going, I'm going in February. In Nashville, and in March. I'm asking. In oh Nashville, no, we, we were out of that. town. We got we dumped on, right? Like six feet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, uh, for a book, like my favorite book kind of inspiration is the one show and it's an ad annual of the best ads in the world. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's like the Oscars for ads. And every year they produce the one show and it's thick, it's gigantic. It's like it's like a yearbook for ads. Wow. So it's every great ad internationally. And so it's this brilliant, and like the trick I always teach artists is that you don't have a focus group. Like the average artist can't afford a focus group. They can't afford, like when I worked at Auto Trader, we did eye scanning on people as they looked at our site, like behind the mirror, you know? And so, but if you look at an ad, you can reverse engineer it and understand why they made those choices. So you can say, okay, like this is where culture's at because of this ad. So you don't need to have the budget, you just have to reverse engineer the ad. Mm-hmm. So you can see, like an example of that would be like in the 80s and 90s, Nike was like, their theme was kind of these shoes are magical. You know, like if you buy Michael Jordan, you'll be able to dunk like Michael Jordan. And then, um, like, the last couple of years, they've realized consumers aren't falling for that. They're smarter. So they'll, they changed their concept to stuff like, these shoes work if you do. Like, they just said, like, hey, they're, they're running shoes. Like, overweight people can own them just as well as anybody. It's up to you to actually use them. 
Sure. So you can then go, okay, I need to really understand that honesty is in our culture. Like I always talked about that with the Dos Equis guy. Like I used to do that. Like the line, I don't always drink beer, but when I do, I prefer Dos Equis is the exact opposite of every beer ad in the 80s and 90s, which were like, tastes great, less filling. Like people were fighting each other for Miller Lite. Now he's going, I don't even always use this category. Like imagine, imagine a car commercial where somebody said, I don't always drive a Toyota. Like I just don't. But when I do... I prefer a Highlander. Like that is like he's not even saying when, but when I do, I gotta have Dos Equis. He's saying, mm-hmm. yeah, I prefer it. You know, like, meh. like, but that's them recognizing our consumer doesn't want to be hit over the head. They want honesty. They want approachability. They want sure. accessibility. Sure. Um, but at the same time, they want it in the form of something grandiose, like the world's most interesting man. Nobody is like the guy's just being honest. He actually fought that tiger shark. Like, so you have to go in and kind of. Smart, I think smart artists uh, reverse engineer culture all the time. Hmm. That's deep. Smart artists yeah. reverse engineer culture all the time. Yeah. You, There's your tweet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You can criticize me and Meryl Streep. Yeah. Well, in closing, uh, so 30 Days of Hustle, that course is closed oh, yeah. for now. Six months. So in 30 seconds or less, they can't get in anymore if they would have they would have learned what, 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 what's the advice that you would have been able to give them that they you can would now have give had them the now. most fun accomplishing the <laughs> most they've ever accomplished. So give us the 30 second advice. The- uh, do less, uh, spend more time doing less. Like you don't have to do five books. Like whenever somebody tells me they have four books they're working on, I think, Oh, that's an amazing way to never finish a book. Hmm. Like pick one thing and work on it for 30 days. What's the worst that happens on day 31? You pick up the other thing. That's good advice to start the new year with. There you go. Dude, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, yeah, thanks, Sammy. We warned you guys you were going to have to listen closely to that one. We said he talked fast and talked fast. He did. I love it. So much information in there. <laughs> yeah. What was your favorite takeaway or something that you're going to walk away with and apply? I, I honestly, like selfishly, I enjoyed asking him face to face about the whole working for free thing, you know, because mm-hmm. he has a tendency to talk a lot about that online. Yeah. Um, and there are times when I've always like, I've gone, yeah, but yeah, but, mm-hmm. and I think I, I haven't seen him in a while. We had coffee like maybe six months ago. I was picking his brain about another idea and I, we didn't have a chance to talk about that. So I was eager to ask him about the working for a free thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved his answer and I'm glad we cleared the air, you know, I, because story is like a great example. It's almost a perfect example um, that comes to mind for me of there are times when it's okay for artists and creators to work for free because mm-hmm. a conference like story wouldn't be possible. And a lot of people get confused. Uh, they think it's like this giant for-profit corporation. Um, I, I actually work for Story for free. I don't make any money off Story. And so I work for Story for free. One, because uh, I'm passionate about the cause and the movement of the type of storytellers mm-hmm. that Story is made up of. But two, like, yes, I know there are benefits to me being involved in leading this movement so you're not really working for free you're working for value and like yeah. that's the value absolutely like, to it. yeah absolutely yeah, so, so was, as long as you find value and yeah the type of work you're doing without a payment totally so yeah good. yeah yeah so it was nice to hear him say yeah of course it's okay sometimes to go work for free and i and him for him to say i go work for free sometimes or i go speak for free or i go mm-hmm. consult for free uh, but it's not necessarily that you're doing it for free there's an exchange of value there it's just, it's cool to 
to hear him describe it a little bit more. So I, I that was one of my highlights, that part of the conversation. Um, because I'm always like, yeah, but, but then on the other hand, I'm like cheering because it's like, yeah, no more free. Yeah. Totally. How about you? Um, I love his, his idea that you can only do one or two things at a time. That's really true for me. I think right now, um, chosen to do a 31 day yoga challenge and I'm on day 12 and hearing him say, if you make it to day 12 and you do it, it's that you have a better <laughs> chance of making it. And I feel really confident that I'm going to make it all the way through. But too many times I feel like whenever I start up January, I have this huge list of things that I want to accomplish. And they're like, eat really healthy, get fit and tone, like all mm-hmm. those typical things you put on that list. But there's never many actionable steps. And they're all such huge ideas that I kind of try on my own for a little while, but then they just kind of drop off and then I end up with nothing getting done. And um, the one or two things per 30 days is really practical, solid advice. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I didn't think about it until just now, like in our follow-up conversation. Uh, But I started this new year going, I'm going to eat a lot cleaner and healthier Mm -hmm. and I'm going to get in better shape. Um, And so what I... What I think I did is I started the year going, I'm going to do whole 30 and I'm going to start running again and get back up to my like 50 miles a week that I used to run. I used to run Dang, a ton. I, hate um, running. <laughs> I, hate uh, I enjoy it if I'm listening to like an audio book or something like sure. that. And I feel yeah. like it's productive time, but I failed at the running part um, because I was so focused on the eating part. And so we started whole 30. I was like, it got really cold really fast. Mm-hmm. Like it was like 60 degrees at the new year by January 3rd. It was like 17 degrees in Nashville. And so I couldn't go run outside. And what I found was the absence of, or maybe I should say by giving myself a little bit of room in the exercise category, I was able to tone back these massive goals I had for myself totally. for exercising and just start with whole 30. Totally. Um, and now I'm on day seven of whole 30. My whole, my family is doing it together and it's been great. Um, but I've been able to focus on that without the distract, but I'm also not running and I'm also not stretching and I'm also not doing yoga and I'm also not doing like weights and like circuit training. And so, yeah, I think it's true. And a cool thing about doing things for 30 days too, is I've also heard that if you can do something for 30 days, it forms a habit. That's so true. Last year I went through uh, the artist's way, um, which is this really incredible book that is really inspirational. And what part of like the program is you're supposed to be writing every day you have morning pages where you write handwritten three pages of just journal entry doesn't matter what you're saying even if it's just like I hate doing this so much (laughs) I hate doing this so much but now I do it every day I did it for 30 days and it just feels natural I can't start my mornings without it now yeah so it's interesting to think about if you can do one thing at a time for 30 days it will become a habit and then you can move on to your next habit yeah yeah, I love that. So lots of great advice if you're out there listening and, you know, you're kind of going into this new year trying to figure out what to pursue. Maybe just pick that one project. I think John's right. You got to have those seven faucets running. So, you know, don't ignore the fact that there are other things that will have to be worked on at some point. But for now, pick that one big thing and hustle and get it done. Tune out the distractions. Um, I'm, I'm excited about the university research thing that he talked about is cool. Was that, I think that was in the interview or was that before we started recording? I, I can't, in the interview yeah, I, I love that, uh, you know, these programs that he's doing like 30 days of hustle or 90 days of business hustle. Mm-hmm. There's so many like 
digital internet courses out there and programs that you can go through. Uh, it's pretty cool that he's got some university researchers like following along, yeah. trying to figure out the neuroscience of like when people set goals or they try to go do something, what, what's the actual data end up showing. So I'm excited to see that come out. Uh, I think we mentioned during the interview that that course is closed right now, but keep in touch with John. I think you can follow him online. It's just at John Acuff mm -hmm. on all the social media places. He has a big presence on social media. He's very active. And, and hilarious. And hilarious, <laughs> yeah. Very sarcastic. Uh, just a really great sense of humor. Um, and, his, and his name does not have an H in it, so there's no H in John. It's just J-O-N. And then he has a very famous last name, uh, and he's actually uh, – I think like Roy Acuff is like his great uncle or something like that. It's actually legit. Uh, but just A-C-U-F-F, -F, uh, check out John Acuff. When you follow him online, you can stay tuned and figure out when he does a reopening of the next 30 Days of Hustle. Uh, if you want to check out John's website, it is johnacuff.me. Actually... <clears throat> acuff.me just acuff.me just acuff, yeah sorry about that acuff.me so if you want to check out john online his website is acuff.me not .com not .us not .hustle.me acuff.me so thanks again to john for stopping by the story offices and having a little chat with us and thank you guys for tuning in and listening as always we appreciate your reviews and your ratings of this podcast it's what helps other uh, creators and storytellers like yourself find out about what we're doing and all the things here at story so you can check out our website at storygatherings.com figure out what's up with the latest gatherings that we have going on and until then we'll talk to you guys next week thanks for listening